So, um, as I already mentioned, we're in the third week of a series here at the river called The Gift of Winter. The Gift of Winter. And of course, um, after you go through a week like we've just been through, where it's cold and nasty, and every day you have to shovel, like every day, it makes you wonder, is winter really a gift? Um, well, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, because actually it is. Actually it is. Um, but one of the things I wanted you to notice is the little subtitle there uh, in the gift of winter, um, because it says Advent, Advent at the river. This is actually an Advent series. Now, some of you may be wondering, what, what's Advent? Well, Advent is the, is the 40 days uh, before Christmas, and it's a season um, in which we, um, for those of us who know and love the Lord, we begin to prepare our minds and our hearts for, for the arrival, for the Advent of Jesus at Christmas. Um, in the Christian tradition, Advent included such practices as keeping an Advent calendar, uh, lighting an Advent wreath, uh, praying an Advent daily devotional, erecting a Christmas tree, as well as setting up Christmas decorations, just like the, the decorations that we have uh, around here. Um, all of this, all of this reminds us that Christmas is coming. Um, in fact, Really, in our culture today, all the stuff that we currently do or in and around Christmas, all the lights, it, it, all, it all goes back to this, this season of Advent, this season of, of waiting, of anticipation. Now, in, in church, it usually involves the reading of specific Old Testament texts that, that prophetically anticipate the birth of Jesus. And I want to read one this morning. It's a really beautiful one from Isaiah 11. Um, Listen to these words. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that glorious? I mean, just so powerful. Isaiah, um, this Old Testament writer, he's prophetically looking forward to the Christmas event hundreds of years before it ever took place. And he sees it. He sees it coming in the future. He sees Christmas coming. And so he, he begins to describe what the world is going to become like once Messiah comes. But before we get to that part, we have to pay attention to something else. 
Because for you to really get the grandeur of this passage, for this passage to create in you the kind of longing and hope and courage that God wants you to have this morning, you have to start with the stump. You have to start with the stump. You're like, what? Well, listen, because here's one thing you know. Wherever there's a stump, something has been cut down. Wherever there's a stump, something has been cut down. In this passage that we just read, the stump Isaiah is referring to is is the people of Israel. It's not just any old stump that that he's talking about, like random stump. No, it's the stump of Jesse. Some of you might be asking, who's Jesse? Well, Jesse was the father of King David. And and King David is like the representative head of, of the kingdom of Israel. So, so what's been cut down in this prophecy? Well, it's, it's the kingdom of Israel. And, and all through the Old Testament, as you, as you open the pages and you read through it, you see that, that, that Israel goes through these cycles of, of following the Lord, but then, but then falling away from the Lord. And, and, and what Isaiah is specifically focusing on is the fact that Israel is going to find itself in exile. It's going to be cut off from the land that the Lord gave it. They're going to find themselves in bondage. They're going to find themselves in exile. They're going to find themselves in winter. As we've been finding out around here, one of the realities of living in this world is that every once in a while, All of us, all of us are going to find ourselves in the season of winter. As surely as one season follows another, there will be trials and tribulations for every one of us. Remember what Jesus says when he was here. He said this, in this world you will have what? You'll have trouble. You'll have trouble. Now, you might ask, why? Well, the short answer is because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. There is a, there is a cur- curse hanging over creation on account of human sin and evil. The Bible puts it this way. Life is at work in us, and we see that in all kinds of different ways, right? Life is at work in this world, in this creation that God has made. But the Bible then also says this, but death is also at work in us. Last week, I, I put up this slide, and um, I just want to kind of review it real quickly again, because these are some of the things, these are some of the trials and the tribulations and the problems that we can go through that can send us into winter. Job loss, or not being able to find a job. Sickness, Right? I mean, there's this strong connection between our body and our soul, and so you get sick, and especially if you're chronically sick, that can send you into winter. Divorce, betrayal, unanswered prayer, loss, right? I mean, Linda's kind of going through that right now, right? You lose a loved one. Um, She actually sent me an email this week and said, "I, I underestimated emotionally, Um, what this would be like to go through it. Because as, you know, as a person with an aging parent, you always think, yeah, I know it's coming, right? But when it actually happens, 
it, it actually has a greater impact in your life than you might even expect. Time of age, milestones, all, all kinds of things. And you can probably think of some other things in your life that can send us into winter, right? In all these ways, death is at work in us. At any time, any one of us can find ourselves a stump in winter. Are you with me? But you see, that's not where the story ends. The story of, of the Gospels, the story of the good news that Jesus came to bring, isn't the story of us just remaining in winter, being affected and, and, and brought low by all the tragedies and tribulations of this world. No, the story of this world is that God, despite the fact that there is, there is this curse, is at work in this world to bring life again. This is what Isaiah is talking about. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You understand what Isaiah is saying? He's saying, I understand that, that, that there's a lot of tragedy and tribulation in this world. But Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to push back the darkness. Jesus is coming to bring healing. Jesus is coming to bring life. And the imagery here is so cool, isn't it? It's, it, it starts out as a shoot, right? And if you just think about that, a, a shoot like, like, like you see here, just so vulnerable, right? So, so insignificant, like, like a baby in a manger, Born in, in poverty. But, but it grows. And it grows and it begins to bear fruit. And in time, it begins to change everything. And so the, this, this baby, this, this one born in a manger, grows and begins to minister. And, and through his ministry, life begins to break out in all sorts of different ways around the world. And this is really what Isaiah is describing. He's describing what Jesus accomplished when he was here, but then also in and through his ministry through the ages. And he looks forward to the time when, when that shoot coming out of this stump will grow into a tree that will change everything, that will bring life to all things. And that's why there's these glorious ideas that he begins to share in, in this, right? He's talking about Jesus, Jesus coming such that justice will be restored. Christmas coming so that, such that righteousness and faithfulness will return to the land. Christmas coming such that God's peace, God's shalom will reign again. And, and notice how the passage ends in this glorious way. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Isaiah is saying this, this, this tiny shoot that grows up from the stump of Jesse, it's going to be all in all. And from east to west, from north to south, from heights to depths, will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. That's the promise. Now is it here yet? No. We live in the in-between time. Between what Jesus accomplished on the cross, between his, his resurrection, which is the first fruit of all the things that are to come, 
We live between that time and this time when Jesus will come back in glory. And then all things will be restored and renewed. This is the promise of Scripture. This is the background with which you need to understand the person and the work of Jesus. He is quite literally, as I already said, pushing back the darkness. He is quite literally bringing life where there is no life. He is quite literally bringing spring where there is winter. I love how how C.S. Lewis imagines this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've never read this book, you should, right? It's a, it's a, it's a story that really echoes the story of, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But it's told through these, these mythical characters in, in this mythical land called Narnia, Right? And, and in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, these four children, they end up in Narnia, and it's winter. Why? Because this white witch has her grip on this, on this whole world. She's a tyrant and a dictator. And life in this world is, is difficult and hard. But as these children arrive, things begin to change, and suddenly they start to hear rumors that, that Aslan is on the move. And who is Aslan? Well, Aslan is, is a lion, but, but really he represents Jesus. And what starts to happen as these, as these kids are traveling in the land is the, the grip of winter begins to recede. Father Christmas shows up to give gifts. And then now listen to how he describes what happens when Aslan is on the move. Every moment, the patches of green grew bigger. And the patches of snow grew smaller. Every moment, more and more of the trees shook off their robes of snow. Soon, wherever you looked, instead of white shapes, you saw dark green firs or the black prickly branches of bare oaks and beeches and elms. Then the mist turned from white to gold and presently cleared away altogether. Shafts of delicious sunlight struck down onto the forest floor, and overhead you could see a blue sky between the treetops. Soon there were more wonderful things happening. Coming suddenly around a corner into a glade of silver birch trees, Edmund saw the ground covered in all directions with little yellow flowers, celandines. Now, of course, I could go on. We could read the entire chapter, and it's, it's a wonderful uh, chapter. It's, it's so beautiful, but, but the description here is so appropriate, Right? especially in the context of this series, winter receding, as the power of Jesus begins to grow, as, this, as, this, as the ministry of Jesus begins to take hold in the world, winter recedes and spring begins to come. By the way, um, I want to charge every parent here with the responsibility of reading that book out loud to your kids at some point in um, your life. Uh, or get an audio recording of it and just listen to it together. Sharon used to read it um, whenever we would drive uh, long distances. She would pull out one of those books, and this was one of our favorite ones, and she would just read it out loud. And uh, the kids kept going, keep going, Mom, keep going, keep going, right? Because they wanted to hear the next chapter. It's glorious. It's magical. So, so let me encourage you to do that. Build that faith into your kids. 
The message of Christmas is this. Jesus is bringing new life. Jesus is bringing spring. Now listen, one of the most powerful ways in which we see this in the life of Jesus is in the miracles he performed. Because here's what you need to understand. In the miracles of Jesus, we are getting a foretaste of this life to come. A foretaste of what the world is going to look like when Jesus is all in all. Right When Jesus' kingdom comes in its fullness. It's the miracles of Jesus to which we see what C.S. Lewis describes, the, the power of winter being broken in people's lives. Breakthroughs being achieved. And this morning, um, I want to talk about three different kinds of miracles that Jesus performed. And, um, and I want to I talk about their meaning. And, and after we do that, um, we're going to have a ministry time. This is going to be an opportunity for you to get prayed for, um, for healing to happen in this place, for winter to get pushed back in your life in whatever way you need God to move uh, this morning. But first, let me describe these, these, these miracles of Jesus and, and see if you don't find yourself in one of these three categories, maybe needing one of these kinds of miracles this morning. The first kind of, of miracle is the miracle of healing. The miracle of healing. Who needs a miracle of healing? Well, well, it's the person who's sick, right? It's the person who's struggling with physical sickness or, or emotional sickness or, or depression. Or, uh, they, they need healing. They need something to change in their body. Now, there's an abundance of stories of healing in the Gospels. Jesus uh, did a lot of healing, as we might suspect, right? This foretaste of, of, of life to come, where there will be healing for everyone. But there's one story that I really love. Um, how many of you read Arch books growing up? Just physically raise your hand, Okay. All right, one person, maybe. Okay, oh, one person, okay. Uh, Arch books, do you remember these things? Was I the only one that read these things? Oh, okay, thank you, thank you. Um, appreciate that. Um, they, were, they were wonderful little stories, kind of like comic books, right, but Christian comic books, and they told the stories of, of the Gospels uh, in such a, a wonderful way. Um, I used to receive an arch book uh, every year uh, for our Sunday school class for memorizing a certain amount of scripture. Um, it, was, it was pure bribery, but as kids, we were willing to go along with it, even though it was in church. Now, uh, one of my favorite arch books uh, was this one, Jesus Heals Blind Bartimaeus. Jesus Heals Blind Bartimaeus. It always touched me deep inside. And um, let me read for you now the account in Mark chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Because that's what, that's what blind folks would do in those days. That's the only way that they could try to survive. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to see Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, here's what I always loved about this story. It's the fact that Bartimaeus wouldn't give up. He kept, he kept on calling out for, for, for healing, right? Many people told him to be quiet, right? Many people, it says in the text, many people rebuked him. Said, he hasn't got time for you, Bartimaeus. But, he, but he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't give up. He keeps calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And despite the crowd, Jesus stops. He stops. And he attends to this man. And he brings healing to this man. And I'm wondering this morning, how many of you in this room need Jesus to stop? To bring healing into your life in some way, shape, or form this morning. And maybe it's not even healing for you, but it's healing for somebody that you know and love. Can I tell you this? Jesus can do it. Jesus can do it. Um, I'll never forget. Um, we were, this was in Abbotsford when I was uh, pastoring there at uh, the church there. And uh, we had a healing service just like this one. And um, someone came forward and they wanted healing for uh, a young boy that was in the hospital at that time who was very sick and at death's door. And so we got together, and even though he wasn't there, we prayed together over him. And we prayed for healing, and we prayed for life. And it was a most amazing thing, because at that very moment as we were praying in the hospital, things turned. And he opened his eyes, and uh, he was awake again, and um, the doctors had no explanation for how it was that in that very moment he was healed, Right? I've seen people's hearing healed. I've seen people, uh, people's cancer healed. I've seen people's infertility healed. Now, does it happen every time? No. I, I wish it did, but remember, we are, not, we are not yet on the other side. We are not yet into this place where, where the kingdom of God is all in all. We're still living in the in-between world. But, but listen, um, healing can happen. And, and I want to encourage you this morning um, to be like blind Bartimaeus, right? If you need healing, cry out. And don't stop crying out. You ask for healing. See, see part of the challenge is, is we have these things that we need, we, need, we need healing for in our lives, but, but then we're not willing to actually cry out. We're not willing to actually ask. Jesus is fully capable of pushing back the darkness, of bringing spring where there's a winter of depression, where there's a winter of cancer, where there's a winter of, of whatever issue is going on in your life. So if you need healing this morning, you're going to get a chance to come and cry out to the Lord. Second kind of miracle. This is the miracle of provision. 
the miracle of provision. How many of you are lacking something in your life? A job, a spouse, a job and a spouse, oh boy. The truth is, there's all kinds of things that we can lack in our lives, right? Children, a home, a friend, a purpose. In this economy, some of you might be lacking the bare essentials, like, like food, like a place to, to lay your head. And, and here's what you know. Jesus, Jesus can provide. Jesus can provide. The quintessential story from the Gospels in this regard is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, it's another archbook, in case you're wondering. Let's read it from John chapter 6. Now, this is a little bit of a longer passage, but I wanted to read just a lot of scripture this morning to remind you of the power of Jesus to move, okay? The power of Jesus to push back the darkness. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he, already, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go amongst so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you need from Jesus? What do you need for him to provide for you? And again, I want to impress on you the importance of, of asking. It's, it's okay to ask and to keep on asking. I'll never forget um, a couple that I was ministering with uh, a number of years ago. And uh, I can't tell you how many times they had come forward uh, to pray for new life, to pray for uh, the gift of a baby. And um, it just, it wouldn't happen, and it wouldn't happen, and it wouldn't happen, and it wouldn't happen. And, um, but they kept on coming. And then in the span of... Um, uh, basically about six months, they ended up adopting um, a child that became available uh, as a result of a number of circumstances. And um, the day that they got this child from uh, the adoption agency was the day that she found out that she was pregnant with twins. And, <laughs> and so suddenly, they had a lot of life and 
almost even more life than they really wanted in, in that moment. But God, God was faithful. God, was, God had provided for them in such a powerful way. And everyone who heard of it just gave thanks for this incredible provision that God had, had, had brought into their lives. And, um, and listen, um, you need to realize that, that um, God can bring that provision into every one of our lives. See, there's a cool twist in this story. Maybe you didn't catch it, but there's how many baskets left over after this miracle is performed? There's 12. There's 12 baskets. Why 12? Does anyone kind of, I mean, recognize that number? It's kind of an important number in the, in the New Testament. There, um, there are 12 uh, disciples, right? In the Old Testament, there are 12 tribes, right? And so now there are these 12 baskets. What do they represent? Well, what they represent is the fact that, that Jesus is going to inaugurate a new movement, a new community called the church, right? And these 12 baskets are basically saying there's going to be enough bread, not just for the people here. There's going to be provision, not just for the people who are gathered in this place who are hungry. No, there's going to be provision for all those people who would come and follow me, who would come and be a part of the church, both now and right into the future. And, and that's so comforting that, that, that in this moment, as this miracle is taking place, God is already projecting into the future, projecting to this morning and asking, what do you need? Well, there's, there's bread enough. There's bread enough for you. Your job is to ask. My job is to provide. Now, again, um, does that mean, you know, it's just, it's a magical kind of thing, like, like um, I need to pray for a Ferrari, and the next thing you know, poof, right? No. No. But I'll tell you this, God does provide, and I've seen it over and over and over again. What do you need from the Lord this morning? What provision do you need? Well, let me encourage you, when it comes to the ministry time, don't just stay in your seat. Come forward and ask. Remember what Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, all right? Asking is a huge part. All right, third kind of miracle, and that's the miracle of release, the miracle of release. For, for some of you here this morning, something has captured you. Something has imprisoned you. Now, I don't want to get spooky here uh, this morning, but perhaps you're willing to admit um, there, is, there is some evil in your life that has taken control, all right? Maybe it's an addiction that is just debilitating you. Maybe it's a way of thinking about your past that haunts you. Maybe um, you struggle with, with anger, to the point that, that you suspect that there's something else going on beyond just, just a reaction to the normal trials and tribulations of day-to-day -day life, right? There's kind of a deep anger in you over something and you're not sure what it is. It feels like something has control over you in this regard. Maybe it's a spirit of judgment, right? And it's destroying your marriage. Listen, you need to understand that these things are very real, okay? 
You, you have an enemy. There is such a thing as, as a spiritual stronghold, a thing in your life um, whose power can only be broken by the power of prayer. Let me read you another passage, another story of a miracle from the Gospels. And again, it's a longer piece, so stick with me. When they came to the other disciples... And, and, and this takes place right after Jesus has been up on a mountainside. He's been transfigured. Now he comes down into, into the valley. And they meet with the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsing him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I'm here this morning to tell you that whatever thing has a hold of your life, whatever that is, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Are you imprisoned by something? Are you possessed by something? You need a miracle. Yes, you can go to, 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 to counseling. Yes, you can, you can um, read self-help books. Yep, you can do lots of things. And all those things are good things to do. Uh, sometimes if you're uh, struggling with something like depression or, or whatever types of things, you need to go to your physician and you need to, to figure out what's going on if it's a physical kind of deal. But listen, listen, Jesus specifically tells us in this passage that there are some things in our lives that can only be broken by the power of prayer. And what he means by that is they can only be broken by a touch from God. So as long as, as you are just, you're nailed to your seat and you're never willing to come forward and you're never willing to ask for release, you're going to struggle in this area. Now again, um, I don't, I don't want you to get all spooky or, or worried about all this stuff. Um, but, but listen, if, if, if you need prayer in this area, if you need release this morning, then come forward. And you'll get prayed over. 
I'm going to pray for release in this area of your life. Now, some of you here this morning, um, as I'm talking about this stuff, you're, you got sort of your skeptical meter going on. Like, oh, oh, oh boy, right? And what I love about this passage is that the same thing happens in this passage. You know, sometimes we think um, all these people in the Bible, they just, you know, they had no problem believing in all this stuff. And, 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 but this, this father, I mean, he, he was desperate. He probably had been to every physician that he could think of. He'd been to every, he'd done everything that he possibly could to try to help his boy. It's clear that he loves this child, right? And, and, and he says, Jesus, if, if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if, what do you mean, if? And in that moment, he's like, I know, I know, I know, I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I, I struggle to believe that, that this actually can, there actually can be healing for me, that there actually can be release for, for this boy, that, that there can be a future for, for our family in a different way without the burden of all this and, and, and all the, the, the tragedy that this brought, has brought to our family. Help me with my unbelief. And so this morning, I want you to come forward. As you come forward, come forward believing, okay? Now, again, that's not something you can just crank up inside you. But come forward saying, God, I, I, I believe that you are capable of doing more than we can even ask or imagine. You are the one that put this world together. You are the one that sent Jesus. You are the one that, that, that has done so many things throughout the generations I'm coming believing that you can do a miracle in my life. I was telling some of the prayer team this morning, um, just reminding them, this is not, it's not magic, okay? What we're doing here this morning, we, we can't heal anybody. The, the prayer team that will be up here this morning, they can't heal anybody, but God can. We can become channels of peace this morning, to bring peace and life and hope into your life this morning, to bring spring where there's winter, to bring life where death has its grip on you.